You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 153. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And in this session, we are continuing with the second half of our Q&A session we did at the PMO Impact Summit called Impact After Hours. This is a regular Q&A session that I do with some of the top industry thought leaders. And we have a lot of fun and explore and challenge and push for new ideas and better ways to help you make a bigger impact in your organization, leveraging the power of the PMO. And the theme for this Impact After Hours Q&A session was accelerating your impact. So if you have not yet listened to episode 152, go back and listen to that episode first because that's where each of the speakers introduces themselves and we start the conversation that we're picking up here. I hope you enjoy the second half of this Impact After Hours session and definitely make sure you are on our newsletter. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash news. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash news. And you can subscribe to our free newsletter so that you're the first to know when things like our fun and casual live stream Q&A sessions are coming up. Before we dive in, This episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO Training and Implementation Program. Listen, Impact Driver, you've got to stop trying to Google your way to a PMO. I provide you as much as I possibly can inside this podcast, but if you really want to build, elevate, or even rescue your PMO without all the headaches and frustration and overwhelm that you might already be experiencing or that your peers experience when they try to Google their way to success, then you've got to join us inside the Impact Engine PMO program. I give you everything I've got step by step by step, all of the guidance and the techniques and the practices and the templates and the resources and everything that I believe you need to be successful building, running, rescuing PMOs. Now, even if you've built a PMO before, I can tell you there's some things you haven't considered. There's some mistakes you might be making. And this path, this Impact Engine PMO path will make things so much easier for you. And you don't need to take my word for it. Just ask my students. You can hear their success stories and what this program has done from them right on our page about the program. So just go to iepmo.com and find out for yourself if this program would help make your life easier as you're doing that endless list of things that you must do to make a big impact with the PMO fast. And remember, you have less time than you think to show your value without selling the PMO. Nobody wants to hear your sales pitch. They want to see results. And this program will help you get there so much faster. It's the game changer you've been looking for, and I cannot wait to welcome you into the program. Just go to iepmo.com and finally have everything you need to be successful with your PMO. I see you there. Okay, let's do this. Enjoy. 
So um, I'm sharing these statistics that I shared in the workshop earlier because I think this can help us with some of our conversation and kind of puts a fine point on the problem that we're experiencing. Because what I heard from PMO leaders is our business leaders don't have a strategy. Or like we were talking about here with Stuart, you know, separating when we're talking about separating project prioritization from business goals. Right. Um, here's some of the statistics that we see happening in organizations that are really the pro problems that I think PMOs can really help with. And I want to talk about some of this. So um, so we see strategy execution results. Money is not aligned with strategy. 60% of organizations don't link their budgets to their corporate strategy. That's what we we're talking about here. Right. Like we've got people setting the strategy at the top of the organization, totally separated from the projects, the project list that's being created that has nothing to do with the strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And then as a result of all of that, we have, um, we have this huge disconnect, right? So um, on, on top of that, we have management not aligned with strategy. 75% of managers don't have incentives linked to the organization strategy also. Not surprising at all. If you want to know why you have the business leaders, project leaders, and the middle managers telling their staff to go do something totally different than what you're supposed to be doing over here, managing the portfolio of strategic initiatives, this is why. They're not being incentivized to do it correctly. Um, people not aligned with strategy, this one scares me and also mm -hmm. I believe it. 95% of the typical workforce doesn't understand their company's strategy. Yep. Including the CEO. Yep. Including the yeah. CEO sometimes. <laughs> and then execution oh, no. not aligned with strategy. This is, and this is the thing. This is what my workshop was about today. It says 61% of executives struggle to bridge the gap between strategy formulation and implementation. And I think it's because we're trying to close the gap between strategy formulation and, and implementation instead of fixing the strategy process, fixing the prioritization process, fixing the input process to the project process. PMO leaders are hired to fix project management, but it's probably not project management that's broken. It's all the stuff that's setting these projects up for failure right from the start. But as a PMO leader, don't be scared to communicate the strategy. Right. Like, yeah, and communicate across the organization. Right. Absolutely. In, in fact, we, we, so this is, this is where I live, right? So, so again, I'm trying not to hog the conversation, but um, one of the things um, that, that when you do prioritization properly, right? So, and, and I don't mean slap it into a magic spreadsheet and hope for the best, right? Because that generally doesn't work. But when you do it properly, um, out, of, out of that, what you get is the bridge, right? You get a much clearer statement of what our strategy really is. you solve probably all four of these right Stuart yeah abso absolutely right. so, so so I'm going to go through this so first of all you, you get people to convert the strategy into a set of kind of as Amanda said right at the beginning these, these criteria that are quantified and, and you know have weight and all this kind of stuff so that 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 is the bridge to the strategy right mm -hmm. and then you can score your projects and, and you know start building the bridge um, then then we actually had one customer where when they did that Right. When they converted all the mumbo jumbo, you know, the McKinsey mumbo jumbo into these, these criteria <laughs> that say, we're trying to achieve this and this and this and this, that one customer rolled this out in a town hall meeting where they brought all the middle managers together in the organization. And there was a riot when, when they put up the chart that said, this is what we're trying to do. The middle managers stopped the meeting and said, this is the first time we have understood what you've been trying to tell us. Can you, before we do go any further, can you please go and run off you know, 120 copies of that slide so we can all leave with it because right. that's the first time we've understood. 
Now, if the middle managers don't understand it, sure, sure as yeah. eggs as eggs, yeah. the rest of the organization doesn't eggs. understand it, right? So, um, so, so, so you, you, you really can fix this. The PMO can fix mm. this. And you, you don't, it's not about you going in and telling anybody what the strategy is. It's you giving them the tools to translate it into actionable stuff, into projects that matter and, and you know that are aligned. I think in order to do that, there are things that we need to change as PMO thinkers. Um, and you know, Laura, you mentioned that the, the focus of a lot of your sessions with the PMO Impact Summit this week are all about you know, elevating your impact and driving right. the flow of value delivery and, and right. generating the business outcomes that are really required. But let me, I'm gonna copy and paste into the chat PMI's definition of, of a PMO. Oops, here we go. <clears throat> and so if you're able to look at that, do you, I see stuff on structure, standards, governance, sharing, uh, and you know a lot of input stuff. Outputs, outputs, uh, outputs. Not I, outcomes, I, outcomes. My, yeah. look, or it's, even it's inputs. Near, it's nearly <laughs> ten o'clock at night. I don't want to see this. And stuff so, at ten o'clock at night. Well, but I, but I think I, I think um, it's helpful to know that if you're looking to start a change and be a change agent, let's yep. start with how we think about our own profession. Yes. Yeah, and our own Thank role. You. Because too often we go in thinking that, oh, I'm supposed to make everything consistent. I'm supposed to govern stuff. I'm supposed to add structure to stuff. I'm supposed to have templates in whatever that we can all share. The sharing sounds good. And I, and I think too often we don't free ourselves to think about, well, what if I could make all that secondary or even tertiary, right? And, and right. find a better way to drive the flow of value delivery, which isn't even mentioned here. The thing that annoys me about this BMI's definition is it, I call it the McDonald's approach where you make consistent, um, consistently, consistently crap quality. It's consistent <laughs> you know, I got, and you'll have I really got. crap projects all running consistently. Exactly. And the, the, but you know what, here, even McDonald's. Amanda, some, someone's just walked in here with a rip for you, Amanda. The lawsuit's <laughs> on its way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I would <laughs> argue that. That one thing McDonald's does exceedingly well is drive flow. Yeah, it does. They do yeah, flow but, analysis. Uh, in fact, when they, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, whenever they come up I, with the, you know, you, you can order the, I'll have the number three meal, please. <laughs> that, that apparently just that alone drove the throughput of sales up like double. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they modeled it, modeled it out and figured out how to work the patties through the heat machine. And I don't know, I've never really mastered that. Yeah, but that's what, you're spot on, Mike, but the health <laughs> outcomes are horrible. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know, it sure as heck isn't consistent unless. <laughs> but I'll tell you this: from a business point of view, they're saying we don't want to be the highest end premium burgers right. in the market. We want right. to be consistent. We want people to know <laughs> and, what they're getting. And, and, and actually, expected. well, that's true. So, so, and, and Mike, thank you for that because that is that is a really clear statement of strategy, right? Yes. Their statement is: we don't want to be be the best quality. We want to be consistent, so you can walk into McDonald's anywhere in the world. You know what you're going to get. And we want to be cost effective, right? So we've got to drive down those quick, cycle cheap, to, and consistent. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, you got to look at supply chain. So, so those just just in ten seconds, you came up with a strategy statement that tells them, that gives them inspiration of what they need to do in their supply chain, in the kitchens, and delivery, and customer service, and product quality, all these areas, right? And and that I think is what you were talking about, Amanda, in the at the yeah. very beginning, right? Well, and I'd go back and say, you know, Amanda, I don't think I'd want to be a PMO in a in a low quality. <laughs> No, I, I, I prefer I prefer well, the but, high but, premium but, but, and high flow, but 
Well, but there are, remember, there are two types of quality, Mike, right? One type is touchy-feely, nice leather, you know, soft leather and all that kind of good stuff, right? And, and that's not McDonald's. The other quality is about consistency and reliability. And McDonald's is actually quite good at that. If you ignore the occasional screw in a patty or dead fly or whatever it is. Right? So, <laughs> Missing fingers. But, you know, wow. given, given, given how many burgers they deliver, you, you know, you can get away with the obscure. Tolerance level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. anyway, we, so, so, well, so, so, Mike, you're, you're the you're the flow expert. I mean, do you have any? We, we've talked a bit about the the prioritization and the, the alignment and and doing the right things. So, so, what can we? Yeah, how can we start to think about increasing the flow then, right? The the, the throughput. So we're we're picking the right projects now. How do we increase flow? What, what where would you? Start? So honestly, after after starting there and pounding on that drum as hard as I can for however many years. I came to realize that um, the reason only, I don't know, 10 or 15% of organizations seem to dial right into it and just act on it is because this definitional problem is getting in the way. Um, the moment any organization stands up a PMO, they start talking about, well, how do we get all the PMs to work for us? How do we get them all on the same career schedule? How do we have consistent PowerPoint templates and whatever the heck else needs to be standardized? And it's, and it, I've really gone back to, wow, it really is just a mindset thing. I feel yeah, like I'm supposed to control this. I feel like I'm supposed to standardize this. Right. Um, it's, it's been well, the Wild West. And the reason we're standing up a PMO now is because we have to get control of this. And, and the, this notion of driving the cadence of value delivery doesn't really enter into those first conversations or those first impulses. So carry so really on just, just training people so on that and getting them to agree that 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 alone will not really drive up flow and it might actually uh, do the opposite. So, so, so Carrie Ann just asked a question, Mike, that's very apropos right, to, to this, which is how do you make a credible standard? The PMO is not what the PMI says it is. Right? How do you, so, so around the table, what, how do you make that statement credible? Right? Mike, you've been doing this for 20 years. Donna, you've I been think, doing I think, it for, since I, before. I think Laura, Donna, and Amanda have cornered the market on this one together um, right. <laughs> to really just talk about, hey, business people, yep. what are we really trying to achieve as an organization? Even yes. if you haven't articulated your strategy clearly yet, you must have some you know, gut level response to what we really got to do here is the top set of priorities. And let's go get to, to the yes and, or I like to say the how might we. Yeah. I, I, I might not know how I'm actually going to achieve these goals, Larry Ellison. Um, even the 80-hour weeks might not do it, frankly, and doubling resources might not do it. But I absolutely want to lead the effort to, to figure out how to answer that question. How might we? Right. And then yeah. drive to it. And I think too often when business leaders see the PMO mucking around with stuff that isn't that mm -hmm. is, yeah. is when the disconnect starts. If, so, if, if you've got an executive picking up the PMI dictionary, tell them to put it down. Uh, you know, unqualified people should not play with those dangerous tools. Um, <laughs> It's, it's like you don't even know it's like no you don't know what that means go away that's my my little um book you uh we're here to have a conversation about how to run a business so i think there's something missing because all the years at gartner i would go out and meet with enterprise pmos and it pmos and one or the other and i don't want to generalize it's always the enterprise pmo though it was often that or the IT PMO was way into you know, standards and process and everything else and results be damned. But 
one CIO said to me one day that he was dying to, his next job he wanted to work in the EPMO because he wanted to write a project management methodology. And that said something to me that, and I watched another gentleman uh, move into the enterprise PMO. And finally the CIO got him fired because even though I met with him, he talked exactly the right game to me when I was in the room, the minute he landed in the job, he became a process Nazi. I think it's because certain people are comfortable that process, you know, stuff is controllable, that there's a clear definition of success, it's measurable, and it's very low risk until the time they fire you. If you want to come in with a strategy driven, strategy moves, the projects move, you, you're managing a complex adaptive system. And guess what? Those process people don't want to manage a complex adaptive system. Mm. They're not cut out for it. They're mm. linear thinkers. Mm. So, Well, it's also how they're being I, I measured though. Here's, here's the problem. It's how they're being measured, Donna. So you have these big movements to say, we only want PMPs. Okay, we only want project managers or PMPs. Well, what does the PMBOK teach you? All the versions, even the latest. Yeah. It's really about creating and perfecting your outputs. How are you measuring your success? By how perfect you make your outputs, right? As opposed to how you're achieving business outcomes. People are going to perform the way they are measured and they have self-measured, self-defined their success and are being measured at an organizational level by whether they have certain criteria, certain experience. Mm. And that just reinforces this outputs, outputs, outputs mindset, as opposed to if PMO leaders were being measured by the ROI, by the bottom line, by the outcomes they're achieving for the organization, they would perform differently. Not all of them. I do think there are people that just geek out in the process and that is cool. And frankly, I think there are good places for people like that at the right time. Right. But I do think that we're, that there are a lot of experts out there that sit behind a desk or teach in a classroom and say that this is the way you should measure your success because it's easy to teach and it's easy to measure, but you know what? And it's what? easy to certify. And it's a easy yeah. to certify. It's an entire engine, right? And I've had my yeah. certification since 2004 uh, for PMP and I've had others, an agile one and a change management one. Yep. I think it's good to have the education to understand the tools in the toolbox. But I think the problem is we are defining our success by the amount of stuff we create instead of the impact we're helping the organization achieve. And as long as we keep doing that, then the, the needle's never going to move. Those people will be stuck. They will, mm -hmm. like you said, it's safe until it's not. Mm -hmm. But you know how to earn your seat at the table as you know quickly? By solving a business problem, not a project problem. And I think the biggest problem we have is that our PMO leaders, and we talked about this this morning in the workshop, uh, it is recorded for anyone that missed it and wants to go back and watch, is that we have got to stop focusing on fixing project management because it's probably not very broken. Even if you don't have formally trained project managers, Good people, smart people, motivated to solve a problem will get stuff done and get really good stuff done. Get the heck out of their way. Get the business leaders out of their way. You focus as a PMO on helping the business define their goals and objectives, turn that into projects, get them to prioritize those projects and set the project teams up for success. It's not about 
how many templates and tools and processes you create. Yep. And in fact, all of you that are going around bragging about how big your budgets are, are having the wrong conversation. Who cares about how much money you're spending? You're not a cost center. You're a value-driven center. So let's talk about how you are actually helping the organization achieve a return for all of that investment. If we have those conversations, those PMO leaders are killing it in this industry. Those PMO leaders yep. are the ones that we all need to be learning from. And you know what? I'm not saying that templates, tools, and process are never the solution, but they're definitely not the answer. And the answer is to the question of what business problem are we solving? That's where I think we need to shift the whole conversation. And, and that's why I think they're stuck. Mike, I'm, drop. I'm, I'm a, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm a little fired up about this. We've been talking about it all day. <laughs> well, and, and Amanda, Amanda was jumping up and down there, right? Because Amanda, you, 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 you cover this stuff a lot. She lives this every day. I cannot say that is brilliant. Do that. <laughs> and by the way, I think that answers Carrie Ann's question earlier about <laughs> credibility that, you know, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, diff I'm different. I'm not that kind yeah. of PMO leader. Right. Let's talk about accelerating business results. I even threw in my little suggested definition because it's always easy to criticize others' definitions. And you're all free to criticize mine too, of course. Um, but something about the most powerful engine driving results, right? Or accelerating yeah. results. If you just speak that way. Uh, you will immediately establish credibility, even if they look at you like, well, how are you going to do that? Or, you know, you know, things get yeah. stuck all the time around here. How are you going to get them unstuck? Um, you know, just you and what army, right? Mm -hmm. um, still, that's a much better conversation than, well, first, we're going to have all the PMs report to me, and then we're going to put in a whole bunch of methods and standards and send everyone to training. And oh, by the way, Laura, you, I think you're giving too much credit to our profession when you say we're focused on outputs. I think we're too focused on inputs. Yeah. Like training, yeah. right? Yeah. Or yeah, if you say the output is number of training certificates, but right. I still I still think that's an input, right? <laughs> that we hope to get some output from and, and some outcomes. Yeah. I have some anyway. really well-read project managers that cannot manage themselves out of anything. Yeah, they're very well-read. They've got all these credentials. Yeah, who cares if you can't get it no. done? Well, because yep. just so you all know, this is what your business leaders are thinking, right? When mm. you keep shoving PM speak at them, they're looking at you like you are from a different planet and that you don't get them. I guarantee you, you'll never have your seat at the table if you keep talking PM speak at them. You've got to be talking in their language. It is not their job to understand or get project management. Like, like Amanda said, tell them to put the PMBOK down. You use it for your reference, yeah. but for them, you need to be talking in their language and understanding the business problems they're trying to solve and from the sounds of it, facilitating them getting to what their objectives are. A quick, I mean, quick funny story that answers uh, Annex's question here. Yeah. Uh, who said, isn't why PMO, isn't that why it's being replaced by VMO? And I, I imagine the V there is value, Annex. Um, if, if not, just go with me here. I'm going to play with it as, as if it were. Uh, a colleague of ours who um, maybe we should have on one of these days uh, said that like 20 or 30 years ago when he was early in his PM consulting career, he went into an organization. It was a defense contractor that was really proud of all the mature practices they had and this earned value management office that kept all the detailed you know, earned value analysis um, up to snuff and reporting back to Department of Defense overlords and look at all the, these training programs we have for all our PMs and look at our matrix you know, model for how we assign PMs to projects, blah, 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 on and on and on. And, and he sat through it all patiently and nodded his head and said, yes, yes, very impressive, great, love, love to see all that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, this, he says, well, but how come you haven't shown me the most important part yet? 
And they said, well, no, that's the end of the tour. What do you mean? And he said, well, you know, you've shown me uh, the project cost accounting system and the cost accounting um, office and everything else. I'm still waiting for you to introduce me to the value accounting office. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, I've, none of us has ever seen in an organization, at least not with that name, right? So maybe the PMO can be, <laughs> you know, the... The, or you call it the profit maximization engine or the impact maximization engine. Impact engine. Hello. Impact engine. Um, <laughs> Mike, you helped me come up with that name like a decade ago. <laughs> Stuart, you had so, something you've been trying to get in well, here for a while. No, no, yeah. I, I, was, I actually wanted to ask Donna, right? Because we've, we've been dinging all these methodologies and things. And Donna, you've been, you've been oh God, this is going to sound horrible. You've been around, yeah, you've been around before, the, before, the, before the word methodology. <laughs> she brags right? about it. It's okay. <laughs> So, you know, when, when you when you had those two rocks and you were banging them together, because that's all you had, like, yeah. how, how did you get stuff done without a methodology? How did you do that? Um, you want uh, an honest answer? I love yeah. the way she answers this. Bring it. I, okay, there was nothing. There was something called SDM 70, which none of you have ever heard of, yeah, which was a methodology for writing software. I took that, I talked to everybody I could, and I understood what I was supposed to be doing. And I, I did only those things that necessitated getting there. What did I manage on? My religion, I have a Gantt chart always. Yep. Nothing but nothing but nothing will part me from my Gantt chart. Other people yes. may manage differently, but Mine's I will not give up my game. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm always triangulating. This is late. Mm -hmm. Can I pull this in? Can I do this? Can I add? You know, so that's where I spend all my time trying to make all the pieces work. And then I don't, I hate writing status reports. And I have my early career. Somebody'd walk over like the CFO and say, Donna, how's it going? And I tell him. So we had weekly meetings. He didn't need a written status report. And we worked my first project, which was installing, this is how old I am, Intel's first in-house general ledger coming in from Timeshare. So we were, we were basically at SAS in 1979. <laughs> and we're just, uh, we were bringing in a house. So... You know, that was it. We just got figured it done. out how to get it done. Yeah. And, and, so, and, you know, and, and that, that's a great story, Donna. So, so let me share just really quickly my first project management experience. And, and you guys have heard this before, so I apologize. But so, so my first real project management was uh, I, I took on the P&L for the two biggest accounts for this telco software company. And so they, they, and they, they, they lured me in with this story about, hey, we've got our beachhead wins in these two accounts go and sell the world, right? They're, they're just begging for us to go and sell them. I joined, we had seven projects in place across these. We were about to get thrown out of six of them. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so the world wasn't quite ready for being sold at. So the first thing we had to do was fix the projects. I had that much project management expert. I didn't even know there was a discipline at this stage in my career. I didn't even know there was a discipline of project management. So I went to, we were just kicking off, we were having a big kickoff for an upgrade. 
And the project manager stood up from the customer. And, and, and I'd been told, look, Stuart, you don't know anything about project management. Keep your mouth shut. You're there because you're the mm -hmm. senior guy in the room, right? So keep your mouth shut. And as you can tell, I'm not good at that. So the, 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 the customer, peer, the project manager stood up and, and sort of went, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to install a billing system, right? My hand went up. And, and they all looked at me like, oh God, what's going to happen now? I said, no, we're not. We're not here to install a billing system. We're here to grow revenue, aren't we? Yep. And, and as soon as we had that discussion, right, we, so, 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 so we started with, what do we need to do to grow revenue? And what can we not do that's not going to contribute to us growing revenue? And we, we, we slashed the scope by about a third yep. in, in yep. half an hour. Yep. yep. Right? Without, without slashing value. Yep. Without, yep. without reducing. Absolutely. Absolute, right on, Mike. Right on, Mike. So guess what? Suddenly we had enough resources. Suddenly half the dependencies and the problems that were slowing us down just disappeared. Yeah. I didn't have to do any fancy project management. You just had to have a discussion about what is it we're trying to achieve. That's so, why common sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of this is is common sense. I think I think you know a lot of the methodologies overthink things. There are yeah. some things that are really powerful that are really you know based on research into what works, uh, and and they do work. But other things are just they're just there because somebody had to build. You know, it's it's, it's like a McDonald's project delivery, right? If you want to scale that project delivery thing then you've got to standardize stuff. And, and there's, there's nothing beats that. What's well, I always think it's like driving a car. All of your project management um, tools, constraints, they're like the accelerator. They're the controls within your car. But if you're not looking out the goddamn window, you don't know where you're going. Right? Uh, you're going to drive the vehicle, right? Are you going to tell us about your, your new car then, Amanda? Your new old car? Oh, my new old car that's been getting a service for two months. Um, yeah, everyone, I bought an MG, 71 MG. But Very nice. I so can't I drive answer, it yet. I'm going to get to some of the questions that we have here to make sure we don't run out of time. So um, one of them was um, very simply from, from Rachel. She asked the question, uh, where do you see the role of the PMO in driving organizational change? So I will share one thing that I think, one big mistake I see organizations making, and that is they have... Um, a change management team mm -hmm. that has to be, all the change management is outsourced to somebody else in another department, maybe in HR or in this other function. And everyone says, well, they'll handle the change management. We don't have to worry about any of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that is one of the fundamental mistakes I see PMO and project leaders yep. and organizations make. Yep. Um, yep. So what do you all think about what is the PMO's role in driving organizational change? Well, no project is successful if it's not picked up by the business. Right. Full stop. You can make the best, best widget in the planet, and if no one can use it, knows how to use it, is going to use it, cares about it, put it in the bin. Amanda, that's the scope you add back in after you've taken out all the stuff <laughs> that Stuart <laughs> talked need. about. Because that's, that's exactly right. I usually walked in, and when I came into Oracle, there was figure out how to archive the general ledger. So it's old enough, I can tell you, our Oracle had not archived the general ledger in 14 years. 
And this is long before Oracle ERP existed, of course. So they they wanted me to do it. That wasn't anything Larry could care about. It had been there for 14 years. He didn't care. So I went through and I lined all this stuff out. But that's really, and then I worked on change management and started to say to everybody in every division, are we doing exactly what you need? When yeah. can we get this done? It will this keep you operational? And had a whole change management team that reported to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake. So here's when PMO leaders are rolling out um, new services and capabilities, and they start saying, "Oh, well, we're in a change resistant organization, or we're facing a lot of change resistance." Hey, all of you PMO leaders, you know whose fault that is yours because you're trying to do change to people instead of with them if you don't do the proper work up front to build the stakeholder relationships ask them about what their pain points are really dig into what the business problems are they want solved and you jump right to giving them the medicine they need to take because you know what they need better than they do that's why you're hitting change resistance. When you solve business problems instead of project problems, and when you are focused on addressing the pain points that they know they have, you will get so much further than trying to shove things at them that they don't even want or need. You know, you might think they need it, but that's this whole templates, tools, and process stuff. It's Remember, it may be the solution, but it's not the answer. The answer is solving the business problem and the thing that they know they want solved. And if you do that, they're begging for your help because you're, you're exploring those problems with them. And then you're saying, would you like some help with that? And like, you can solve this? Heck yeah. But when you go with them, chasing them around the, you know, the, the, the office saying, here's the medicine you need. No wonder they're running in the other direction. Right. So we've got to totally shift the dynamic of how we're bringing people with us through the change process. Stuart's about to laugh, but do you remember the first conversation we ever had, Stuart? <laughs> um, yes. You got, I'm going to the crocodiles. <laughs> if you ever have a chat or have a look about, you'll see it. If you think your organization is change resistant, it is. Just accept that because it's human nature. So why I'm saying and why we're laughing a little bit is I'm an ex-Navy girl. Uh, I used to work in the Arafura Sea, Kakadu area where there's lots of crocodiles. And we were always taught never, ever take the same route twice to do, you know, if you went to clean your teeth or if you around the camp camping area or wherever we are, because crocodiles will actually look out for patterns. And if they don't get you on day one, they'll get you on day two because they just worked out when when you're coming. Now, that, don't take that verbatim. They are opportunistic and they'll just grab you if you're there. But <laughs> when you're living in that area, you have to be very well aware that you, you do different things every day. And the reason... In short, people get eaten by crocodiles. It's not the only one. But um, the, the message in the story is that humans, by nature, love routine. I bet everyone got up about the same time this morning. I bet you all had the same coffee around the same time. You dropped the kids off at the same time. Those routines, those structures, those rituals give us safety and, and comfort yeah. in our everyday. So everybody will be change resistant. It is human nature. So start that as point one right. and then accept that you're going to have to breach. And that is why change is so important because you're talking about the fundamental human being. Mm-hmm. So grab it and control it and manage it 
Well, maybe not control it, but manage it, lead it. Well, I'll go further and say, and say, you know, uh, yeah, you drop the kids off at school at the same time every day, but you didn't always have kids. And probably you weren't forced to do that. I hope you weren't forced to. Um, you probably chose to. Yes. Um, and that's a big change that you invited into your life. Yeah. Right? Um, you, you, might, invited. you might have chosen the school your kids go to, the house you bought, whatever. Where you live, the job. Yeah, that requires moving from whatever apartment you lived in before. And so... So my, my thing is, yeah, there's certain times where change is imposed upon us and there's not much we could do about it. Like, you know, they just closed down my favorite bridge that I usually take to work. And now I got to figure out like, a way around it. I didn't, they didn't even ask me. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think, but I think most of the time uh, we spend trying to overcome change resistance and get buy-in it's because we haven't done the necessary work to build it in. Right. And if you find yourself reading books on how to overcome resistance and get buy-in uh, rather than books on how to build in the support early, uh, I, I think yeah. you'll, you'll find that's sort of the judo magic where you yeah. can expend a whole lot less effort overcoming resistance once it's built. Um, sorry, a lot more. I got it backwards. It'll be much easier if you build it in and then go after the buy-in later. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Totally right. And, and- and and it really oddly enough comes right back to that prioritization discussion we had yeah, at the beginning. Right. So so if you're doing the wrong projects, people are going to be change resistant. They know it's wrong. I, I, I saw some research recently, um, and I cannot for the life of me remember who it was, but it, it was it was slightly suspect research because it was a bender with some self-serving conclusions from the research. So take it with a slight pinch of salt. But the the um, the, the net result was that. Um, uh, they looked at about 300 projects in this big change um, process, and 80% um, uh, of the projects came from senior leaders in the business, right, from the C-suite, and 80% of those failed. 20% of projects came from the bottom of the from the middle of the organization. 80% of those succeeded. Right now, the people in the middle of the organization know what's what needs to change, and when that change is imposed on them, and it's the wrong change. Of course they resist it. But when, when they own that change, when they, were, when they had a voice at the table and when they were able to shape that, because they're the people who implement the change, right? These are the people we are trying to change, right? The people in the middle of the organization, if they had a voice and you're trying to change the things that they know need changing, they welcome you with open arms, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you can see it in those statistics. And again, it, I, I, don't, I, I forget who the vendor was and it was slightly self-serving. So don't take those numbers as being gospel. But I think the lesson from the numbers is, is a good lesson. Right? Yeah, it's very simply. If they want it, if they're asking for it, if it's what they've asked for and you're answering that, like, like Mike, like you always say, answer the mail. Ask what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, they're asking something very simple. Answer it with the thing that they actually want. The, the key and the secret, and I spent a long time on this this morning in the workshop, so go back and watch that recording if you missed it, is tying what they want and Mike, you know, I took a lesson from your playbook um, on the root cause analysis. And uh, you have to, when they say, when they say something like, hey, projects are taking too long, costing too much. And like, go fix project management because that's the problem. You have to do some root cause analysis to determine what actually is the underlying problem. Because yeah, guaranteed often, those, those are downstream effects of some other problem. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and I, I like to say that what the problem usually is is related to prioritization and related to you know everything being number one priority or what I call it 
shoving, trying to shove 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag, right? That's the problem you have. And when you don't have them prioritize it to those five pounds, you don't have a resource management problem. You don't have a projects are taking too long, costing too much. You don't have a project management problem. You have a prioritization problem. And that's why Stuart keeps going back to that. Because if you don't fix that first, nothing you do downstream is going to matter. So I walked through some examples in the uh, workshop this morning. You can go back and watch that to get a good sense of that. But I think it's kind of, and the same thing, I, I definitely recommend using Mike's example and all the car examples that we have today and <laughs> motor related, motor vehicle related examples today. Think about how easy it is to explain to people non-rush hour versus rush hour. And you have very high resource utilization if all the cars are taking up every inch of pavement on the highway. I love that example because it's easy for business leaders to relate Mm -hmm. to. Whereas if you want to maintain that flow, you've really got to be minimizing the number of things you have going on at one time, filling it with buses, like Stuart said, instead of (laughs) individual single occupancy vehicles and getting those right activities moving forward in flow, get those cars where they're going and then move on to the next set. So I love these examples you all are coming back, coming up with today. And I wanted to reemphasize that because some of the questions we have indirectly answered when we've been talking Mm -hmm. about how you differentiate yourself, Margaret was asking about how she should present herself for a new upcoming role. And, and we've all the things we're talking about today are the kinds of things that you want to do. Differentiate yourself by having different business conversations with those business leaders you're interviewing with instead of having conversations with yeah. uh, about all the, the stuff you've created because nobody cares about that. Your resume and the conversation should be about how did I move the needle for the organization? They trust that you know how to do it behind the scenes, but their eyes glaze over if you start talking to them about that stuff. So have a better conversation with them. And they don't understand it. They don't, and nor should no. they. Nor they should they. trying to get them to get project management. It is not their it's job. not their job. So I'm going to tell you, right? So, so I'm the CEO of a small company, not a big company, a small right. company. So what I'm about to say is multiplied a thousand times in a big company. Right? When my team brings to me a problem, and they start talking about the detail of that problem, I've checked out. I'm thinking about customer problems. I'm thinking yep. about growing revenue. I'm thinking about all right. this stuff. And I don't hear a darn word yep. they say, not a right. single yeah. word. And when they finish talking, I, my attention comes back to them. And I say, so what? Yeah. That's all I want. I want the so what. I don't care yeah. about the detail. So if you're talking Gantt charts, the Gantt chart is your tool. Yeah. It's not the exact tool. That's <laughs> your tool. So don't right. talk to them about Gantt charts. Right? Don't talk to them about resource dependencies. Don't talk to them about any of that stuff. Just talk about, here's the business value you want. Yep. Here's the risk. Here are the risks. And this is what I need you to do about it. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all I want as an exec. I just want yep. the business result. And if there's danger, if there's risk to that business result, I want to know what it is and what I need to do. You know, and all of us here are business executives. We've either been business owners or are business owners. We're owners. We're executives inside organizations. Are executives inside organizations? So this is this is us. This is the executives that you might be afraid to talk to. That you're concerned about having. Um, the conversations with that we're talking about here. Listen to how we're talking about all of this stuff. Listen, there. One thing that I used to early in my career be, I'd be so afraid or intimidated by the business leaders. 
And then I realized, oh, they're just human. And just sometimes they're just people. And sometimes they suck. And sometimes they're awesome. And sometimes <laughs> they know what they're doing. And sometimes they don't. But you know what? I know something that can help them. And so I'm going to focus on that. And if you put yourself in a position of constant yes. service and not shove PM at them, but shove solutions to their business problems, you, they, will, they will hear you. Use the words, you have 10 pounds of stuff for a five pound bag. Everyone yep. understands that, right? Like that is immediately obvious. It doesn't have to be technical or, or complicated. The more, if you, are, if you are creating complexity, you are slowing everybody down. Don't create complexity, create simplicity in your conversations, in how you're showing the value you're creating. Don't have 65 metrics when three will do. Just tell them what they need to know, keep them moving and figure out what they need solved that is a business problem that you can address. I think that's the best way to handle these interviews, handle any of these conversations that we're talking about having. They're, they're just people too. Mic so. drop. Yeah. <laughs> two today, I get two. Yeah. <laughs> I want to underline that I have a service mindset. PMOs are here for a set. They're not a um, governance overhead. They're not, you know, they're often the problem is that PMOs grow and all of a sudden everyone wants to cost cut and they've gotten themselves into a position where they're just seen as a cumbersome red tape overhead. And that's not what they should be. You're a service to the business. You're a value to the business. So make sure you've got that PMO leadership lens on and you're serving the business to be a better business. Mm -hmm. And, and that you're delivering what the business needs, not mm -hmm. what the training manual tells you it needs. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But pretty much. <laughs> I don't want to throw out the manual, but just, yeah, put it next to the door or no, something. It's, look, you it's used to hold the door to open. The manual is great because it gives you a checklist of stuff you might want to do one day. Right, yeah. but it's not. It's not cast, you know, chiseled in stone. Well, maybe it was when you started, Donna. It's not chiseled in stone. <laughs> you know, it's chiseled stone. Missed when I started. It wasn't chiseled in stone. That came <laughs> after. Well, pick on him. I'm having, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm digging everyone. So that was Donna's ding, Mike. I had no idea that having a favorite bridge was a thing. <laughs> the favorite bridge. Well, in the DC well, area, sometimes it's like the, the only area. bridge. Yeah, it, well, you, when you're from the DC area, it's like all bridges to get everywhere. <laughs> favorite meaning fastest. Yes, exactly. The one that creates the most flow, usually. There you go. Um, so we we have a few minutes left. I'm uh, wondering if uh, each of you want to just take a moment to. I've already drop the mic. So I'm done. So if each of you want to just take a minute to share some parting words with our uh, PMO leader audience as they are looking for ways to accelerate their impact. We've gotten a few questions. You've seen some of those questions. If you think there's anything we haven't answered, please feel free to um, address that in your final parting words. Um, let's see. I'm going to start with uh, Mike this time. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll start with Donna. No, no. Let me, I'll, I'll make Mike quick. Okay. So, uh, and I'll even spare the long story and get right to the punchline. Um, <laughs> I had a former, a former student that achieved unbelievable success, even though she felt she was set up for massive failure by applying That's a lot right. of what we talked about tonight. And at the end, she said, my CEO is now promoting me to be the head of a PMO and to, to launch a PMO. What should my title be? He asked me what title I wanted. And I said, um, why don't you call yourself PME director? 
And she said, what's, what's PME? I said, profit maximization engine, because it was a for-profit company. And she chuckled and said, oh, that, but like, seriously, like, what should I tell him? I was like, tell him that. Because <laughs> if he thinks it's silly or corny, then he'll, he'll give you some more serious option or whatever, but he'll get the point. Mm-hmm. And he'll be thrilled that you said that. And so uh, about a week later, I got an email showing a picture of her business card that said PME director. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's a good one. I love that. Thank you, Mike. Um, Donna. So given everything we've talked about, uh, this may not be as important to some people as it was in when I started, but follow the money. If you don't understand not only where the money is being spent and how much money is supposed to be saved if you do this or what revenue is supposed to be generated, you have no way to calculate value. And what I constantly see is people have no idea. I mean, there's budget, but they really don't know where it's all going and why it's being spent. And that's really important to executives. They really want to know the money. So it's just one more thing to add to your list. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's great because if they aren't even able to clearly articulate the, their strategy, they know where they're spending the money. So you know what matters. I think that's brilliant. It's a great place to start. Um, let's see, Stuart. Right. So, so mm-hmm. everyone's expecting me to say, go and learn how to... Pro- yeah, prioritization. <laughs> uh, but I think I think we've kind of done that one, right? So so I'm gonna I'm not gonna say that. Um, though if anyone wants to talk about it, come see me after class. Um, the um, so so mine is actually go learn a foreign language, right? Go and learn to speak business. Yeah. Yes. Go go, you know, build some some relationships with people at a similar level to you in different business functions. Go and have coffee. So, so we were talking about the importance of peers. Mm-hmm. Peers aren't just project management people. It's people in other functions across your organization. Right. Go, and, go and have lunch with them. Get a little book club going. I don't care what you do, but ask them about their life. Ask them about what matters to you. Ask them about what gets in the way. Right? So that when you go and talk to the executives, you can talk in their language, not in project speak. So go learn a foreign language. That's my, my big tip. Uh, I love that. And I think there's a really important point. Many of you as PMO leaders, um, you got to stop treating yourself like a project professional and start treating yourself like a peer to the other business units. Yeah. All these other service organizations in the organ in the company, in the company, the IT department, the marketing department, sales department, they're all in service of the greater strategy. Talk to them. If you want to mm-hmm. be, uh, if you want your PMO to be perceived as a business unit equal to the rest of the organization, don't create a PMO charter, create a business plan, just like the rest of your organization is doing. I think it's important that we need to see ourselves at that level and reach out to those peers out side because most of you are in organizations with one PMO leader and you feel like you don't have anyone to connect Mm -hmm. to like Amanda started with this whole thing about peer connection also Mm -hmm. consider your peers that are in other roles in the organization that's an excellent place to learn the business I love it and Amanda we will okay you're gonna laugh because I actually wrote this down but it's the same theme I think I say really concentrate this is about project leadership it's not project management Change your mindset. You are a project leader or a program leader. And I've written down just briefly, optimize your people, lead by example, embrace and your risk, um, embrace courage, 
be courageous. Uh, you're a leader. Don't, don't, pro, those books, those PMI books, that's about management. Let go of that. If you, if you hang on to that, it will, it will be something that will bring you down and anchor you into that layer of the organisation. Let go of that and embrace leadership. And that's how you'll move forward. Yes. Love that. Love that. What a way done. to finish, huh? Yes. Thank you all so very much for being here today. It was, oh, I've missed you all so very much. Um, and I am so grateful for the time. Thank you for all of you impact drivers that are um, watching this session today. If you missed any part of it, we will get the recording there um, sometime in the next few hours, however long Zoom takes to get the uh, recording um, processed and we'll get it right into the platform. Don't forget, this is day one of two days of live events and on-demand content. And then you will have access to all the recordings through Friday, May 6th at 11.59 GMT, GM, GMT which is um, 8 or 7.59 uh, Eastern time. Uh, so make sure you grab all the content, devour everything, grow your network, connect with your peers, and let's go make a bigger impact together. Okay, Impact Driver, I hope you enjoyed the second half of our Q&A session with top industry thought leaders called Impact After Hours. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO Training and Implementation Program. I give you everything I've got step by step by step to tell you what to do, in what order, why that matters, how to do it, and then give you the downloadable resources and templates and even the deliverables you need to put in front of your business leaders with guidance on what to put on each slide and each column and in each document. I've got you every step of the way. So do not wait. Do not try to Google your way to a PMO anymore. Come work with me in the Impact Engine PMO program and finally have the answers to everything you need to do to build a high impact PMO fast. Just go to iepmo.com and I cannot wait to welcome you into our program. All right, that's it for today's episode. If you love what you are hearing, if it is helping you think differently, if you know now that you can make a bigger impact with your PMO and feel inspired to do so, definitely leave a rating and review and let others know that this is the place if you want to make a big impact with your PMO. Bye-bye for now.